Lutheran Church. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Welcome everyone to Strongsville Christian Church. Today's message is unveiling the glory. Amen. Unveiling the glory. There has been veils and unveiling throughout the Bible. What is glorious? Amen. The world has a standard of what is glorious. The world believes that money, the more money you have, the more glorious you are. God created the first veil because man chose to trust and obey creation over creator. Amen. A veil. What is a veil? A veil is something that covers up. It conceals. It hides. There are certain things that transpire where God chose to hide certain things, to cover up certain things. How many of you know that there is a nuclear power plant in Perry, Ohio, and that it is for the safety of society that that nuclear power plant is totally concealed, covered up, contained. Because if there is the smallest leak of exposure, it can destroy. It can destroy countless amounts of people. Amen? And it can have a catastrophic effect. There are different elements of God that are so powerful that our flesh can only contain so much of it to the extent that God said no man sees God face to face and lives. Why is that? Because our fleshly body cannot contain the fullness of the presence and the glory of God, which means that we, our soul, our eternal soul has to leave this body in order to see God face to face. And it is till that point that there is a veil that we see from a restricted perspective because of the limitations of our intelligence, our emotions, our experience, and our memories produce a veil that does not let us see everything in clear sight or clear perspective. I want to talk to you today about unveiling the glory. God created the first veil because man chose to trust and obey creation over creator. How many of you know the Bible says foolish is he who puts his trust in the arm of flesh? Folks will flip-flop on you like a fish out of water. Folks will switch up on you so quickly and they'll promise you certain things and deliver you something different. You can't always trust in the words of man. Why? Because sometimes man puts things out there possibly with good intentions and meaning well and thinking that because they put something out that they have the power to bring forth that which they put out. And then when they make a promise to you through a process of time events, transitions they don't deliver what they initially promised even with Deacon Frederick and his testimony earlier his employers they ranted and 
raved about how great he was and how wonderful he was. And, and they pumped him up so much that when it was time for a raise, they gave him, what was it, a 10-cent raise or a 30-cent raise? It, it was, they, they, if they wouldn't have said how great he was, he wouldn't have had any expectations. But you tell someone how great they are, and then you give them a 30-cent raise. Well, wait a second. Now, I hear what you're saying, but what you're putting out ain't matching what you're saying. And then what is your definition of greatness? 30 cents, I mean, with, the, with Joe Biden in office, the gas prices ain't, flip, you know, they ain't meeting, you know, catching up with inflation. You know, 30 cents is not going to cut it. God created the first veil because man chose to trust and obey creation over creator. Amen. Creator is Jesus Christ, God. So Genesis 3, 4 says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods knowing good and evil right so here this devil this demon Satan Lucifer he makes this promise that if they can somehow disobey what God told them not to do that there was going to be a blessing because of disobeying God. That if you could just eat this fruit that God told you not to do, now the unveiling that's over your eyes that you didn't know was there, that God put this veil on your eyes, it will somehow be magically opened up if you will just simply disobey God. That you don't have to live according to God's word. There's another way around God's word that will produce this this uh, vision that nobody else has. And you just need to unveil the glory of God through disobeying God. How many of you know that we work in the optical field and we work with optics, right? And just because someone promises you vision doesn't mean you're going to get it. Right. If I hand you over my prescription and eyeglasses, that doesn't mean it's going to improve your vision. If it's the wrong prescription, it will make your vision worse. There is a element of eyeglass prescriptions called prism. Right. It is a very sensitive element of the prescription that does not work for most of society. But there are a few folks that have these challenges in their vision where they see double vision. So what you see, you see one Pastor Kalini right here, right? Someone with a disorder, they would see two of me. Hey, two for the price of one. You can't go wrong there. But it's not true. It's just an element or a deception or a misinterpretation of what they see. It's not true. And so they see double vision, and the cure for that is prism in the prescription, which brings back that double vision to single vision, which is reality. Now, if I give you prism in your prescription, then you don't need it. It will cause you to see double vision instead of your normal vision of single vision. In other words, if you get the wrong thing to the wrong person, it will make their vision worse than better. Anytime you seek for glory, outside of God's word, it produces worse vision. 
The only true vision comes from God's word. He is the only one who can open your eyes to something. And if he does not want to open your eyes to something, how many of you know that's for your own good? There are some things that our eyes get opened up to in this life that once our eyes are opened up to it, it's hard to unopen or unsee some of the things that you've seen. About four or five years ago, as I was pastoring in Old Brooklyn, in our old church, Old Brooklyn Christian Church, I watched somebody get shot nine times in the face on Pearl Road in Old Brooklyn. And I'm glad that I was there because God allowed me to pray for him and ask God to spare his life and to wrap a blanket around him to try to restrict some of the bleeding. And by God's grace, he ended up living. And he, 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 he survived that. It was a miracle. But the image of that visual looking at the blood and the wounds, and I could hear the noises, which I'm not going to go too much description, but it's stuck in my mind, even to this day. Once you see certain things, it's tough to, un, to reveal them. There are some things that God does not want us to know about or see about for our own good. How many of you know our mind is frail? And it is, it is very important that we guard what comes into our mind. Because what comes into our mind, it affects our heart. And what affects our heart affects our choices. And our choices affect our life. And how many of you know the devil knows all these things? So he will try to desensitize us to things that God does not want us to watch. We are children are often exposed to things that God does not want them to be exposed to. And the things that God wants them to be exposed to, the devil will fight them tooth and nail to try to stop them from being exposed to the Word of God. I want to talk to you today about unveiling the glory. In Genesis 3.24, it says, And he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which represents a veil, a boundary, hiding the glory of God because they mismanaged what God had entrusted them to do. God gave them one job, and they messed it up. He said, maintain the garden, and they messed it up. And so he removed them, but the direction in which it was established is not random or coincidence. It was by God's strategy. If you look at this real quickly, it says, so he drove out man and he placed them at the east, the east of the garden. Because when the, the tabernacle was reestablished by Israel, 
and eventually moving into the temple of Solomon, there was an order of direction that in order for them to progress to the glory of God, they had to start from the east and work their way to the west. You see, God has a reason in everything he did. And in this disruption of the glory of God, he reestablished a way for man to be reintroduced to or unveil the glory of God. But they had to go through and to the high priest on their behalf. And some folks believe that that was tailored off of the original garden of Eden, that they would be in the presence of God. But the average person could not approach the presence of God. They had to go through a high priest. God unveils his glory when he unveils our purpose. Now, I wonder why is it that I had certain experiences with God. And let me, let me, um, how do I word this? Let me uh, justify this statement or qualify it. No experience that you could ever have in God trumps what's already written in God. Right. So in other words, you could have some demonic experiences or worldly experiences or emotional experiences. No experience. I don't care how great it is. There are a lot of false religions that were established. Uh, the nation of Islam, because the prophet Muhammad Elijah, he had some vision or the Book of Mormons. And Joseph Smith had some special vision that now their experience triumphed the word of God. And how many of you know that will take you away? from the glory of God. So on that note, we have to be cautious when we're talking about experiences, but there are some experiences that are biblical and experiential in my life that bring you closer to the word of God. And why is it that some folks experience certain things and others don't and may never in their whole life? Because God chooses or elects certain folks for certain callings. And he knows that if he does not reveal his glory to them, they will never do what God had called them to do. There are many people in the Bible that God allowed them to go through immense suffering immense challenges and trials and persecutions and sometimes have God reveal all these things up front they might not sign up or they might be like Jonah and try to find another way they might want to go on a cruise rather than Nineveh because see even myself had God showed me the challenges of the city of Strongsville and all the permits that we were going to have to go through and all the restrictions. I thought this place is way nicer than I ever wanted it to be. It was in shambles when we first got it, and I liked it. We were going to use it with the ceiling falling down, rats in the bathrooms, a raggedy asbestos floors, 
you know, there was no asbestos. But I'm just saying, I would have used it just the way it was. It would have been perfect. Coming from Cleveland, no disrespect to Cleveland, but that was an upgrade. And I would have used it as in it. If God would have showed me, you're going to have to go through uh, uh, 5,000 inspections with people nitpicking everything on your wallet. You know, every time they find something wrong, that cost. Had God showed me that, we would still be in, we would not be here. Sometimes God hides things from you because had you know all of the steps and challenges and trials that you were going to have to go through, you would be like, Lord, I'm not here. This is the devil. This is not God. You see? So God has a way of inspiring us, influencing us, and compelling us to live out his word. Amen? God unveils his glory when he unveils our purpose. So when God, when I first got saved and I first got born again, I had a touch from God. You have to understand, I was a atheist. I did not believe in God. I didn't think God was real. I didn't grow up in a a uh, Christian home where I was taught, t- took to church every day, and, you know, we sat down, you know, in a Christian home and had Bible studies and prayed before we ate. You know, that wasn't my upbringing. And so God had to take someone like me with a sketchy past, and I'm not going to go into details right now, but a sketchy past, and had to take me and bring me to where I know that God is real. And now I can do what God called me to do. In order for that to happen, he had to show me something. He had to unveil his glory so he could get a stubborn ox like me to move. Amen? How many of you know God has a reason? He has a purpose for you. And he knows how to get you to do it. In Exodus 33, 18, it says, And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. How many know you can't fault Moses for wanting to see God's glory? God was asking him to go back to the place where he just committed murder. And they literally told him, don't come back here. And God said, go back where they told you not to go back. You are outnumbered, outgunned. They have one of the biggest armies in the world. They can kill you at any given time. And that's where I want you to go back. They hate your people. They hate the Jews. They hate you. They can't stand you. You offended them. You deceived them. You manipulated them. Yeah, go back there. Okay, Lord, sure. No, how many know that God, in order to compel Moses, he had to unveil his glory? Now, I understand there are some theological discrepancies and debates on whether that glory is still being exposed today. And I'll let you wrestle with that in your own mind, but I will tell you, I know that the glory is still being unveiled today because I'm a witness, amen? I would not be here today had it not. 
show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. How many of you know God is good? He said, I will make all of my goodness pass before thee. If we see a shiver of God's glory, it's awesome. God showed all of his goodness to Moses. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. Who is the name of the Lord? Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Amen. And he said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. Right there, he is teaching Moses and in his teaching, he is showing some of his glory. In other words, the glory of God is he doesn't owe man anything. And he's letting Moses know that it is to my glory that I'll be gracious on who I want to be gracious on. Not like that Jonah mentality where you have aught with someone and you want God to blow them up with hellfire and brimstone and sit back on the hill angry. God said, I'll be gracious on whom I'll be gracious. And then on the folks that you are liking, you want God to be gracious on them, but they get hit with all types of affliction and you would say God where's your graciousness and God is saying I am God almighty I am all powerful I will answer to no one I will be gracious on whom I will be gracious and he teaches them some elements of his glory and his majesty and then he goes a little bit farther and says I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now, I believe that every soul that's here today, under the sound of my voice, you are a recipient and a candidate of the mercy of God. In Exodus 33, 20, it says, And he said, Thou canst not see my face. Which shows me that God, he said, you'll see all my goodness. But how many of you know he didn't see all the glory? We see the goodness of God all around. Us Christians. There are a lot of people would not see the goodness of God if it smacked them in the face. Why? Because their eyes are veiled. Their hearts have a veil. The glorious gospel has not yet shined in yet. And all they see is all the wickedness, all the evil, all the corruption. They've been taught all types of false doctrines and doctrines of devils and doctrines of demons and uh, 
all types of things that are just untrue. They're raising up a generation right now to have an entitlement mentality. The world owes me everything, and I don't owe the world nothing. They feel entitled. And it takes the glory of God to unveil the glory. Very interesting in this passage of scripture here thou cannot see my face for there shall be no man see me and live and the Lord said behold there is a place by me and thou shalt stand upon a rock how many of you know Jesus is the rock and he told Peter that upon this rock I will establish my church and the gates of hell will not prevail and it is a precursor of an unveiling of the glory of Jesus which is yet to come let the church say and it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by I will put thee in a cliff of the rock and I will cover thee with my hand, which is a veil. I will, will I, while I pass by and I will take away my hand and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Now, folks, let me give you some hope that when we die and we are born again before we die and we are covered under the blood of Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit, how many of you know that when we go into heaven, we all are going to see God face to face and see his glory without limit, his glory without veil, his glory without restriction. And I'm going to tell you, I would not miss that for anything on this earth. I would not miss it for all the cattle on a thousand hill, for all the billions and billions and trillions of dollars, for all the glory that this limited earth has to offer. I would not rob myself of that or anyone I love for anything. I want to talk to you today about unveiling the glory. As Exodus 34, 30 says, And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone or shined, or glue, glowed, and they were afraid to come nigh him. Now, as Christians, we might not have a physical glowing on our face, but I promise you that even the physical orientation of your face changes when you leave a church service that the word of God is preached. In other words, you can walk into God's house like this. And you walk out like this. I'm telling you, as a pastor... 
for 11 years, I've watched folks who told me that they suffered with schizophrenia and manic depression, and I literally watched their face change throughout the service. Only God can do that. God's glory will change your physical face. And when you go out into the world and people, they, the spirits and demons and people, they could smell church. They could smell the Bible coming out of your pores. How I many you know when you drink alcohol, it comes out of your skin and it stinks? But when you drink the Spirit of God and the living waters, it comes out of your pores and other folks. No. How many of you know when I lived in those apartments on Henninger in old Brooklyn, I would come back from church with my King James Bible, and I would walk into my apartment, and folks would hide their alcoholic beverages and their wacky tobacco and their black and milds and their blunts and their crack pipes and their heroin needles, and they would put them behind their back. I'm not the police. I don't have any authority to arrest anyone, but how many know your presence is called to change atmospheres we are called to be a thermostat not a thermometer don't let the atmosphere change you you change the atmosphere for all you unemployed folks and for all you employed folks for you students for you that have a family for you married people if you're having problems at home, don't be the thermometer. Be the thermostat. You set the temperature. If that marriage gets too hot and heavy, turn the thermostat down. If it's too cold, turn the thermostat up and keep love alive. And that will be known that you have seen the glory of God. And if you're single and ready to mingle, your odds of marriage are lower if you're walking around cold. Amen. Turn the thermostat up. Let me move forward before I get in trouble. Exodus 34, 35, it says, And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, and Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went to speak with him. Folks, as Christians, there are some times where you need to put a veil over your face when you're dealing with certain folks. The Bible says a fool utters all of his mouth, and a wise man keepeth his peace. There are times where we need to just live a certain way and speak a certain less. Let the church say, Amen. Let me move forward before I get in more trouble. No religion, don't get mad at this one. I'm going to show a balance first, okay? 
I'm going to produce a balance, okay? No religion, no ritual, no rules, and no laws can replace or reproduce the glory of God. Now, let me, let me uh, qualify that point. I'm not saying that every aspect of every religion is wrong. The Bible says perfect religion undefiled is to help the widows, to feed the poor, to help the fatherless. Jesus said that's perfect and undefiled religion. So I'm not saying all aspects are evil. I'm not saying all rituals are evil. We do communion. We do water baptism. We do uh, certain things that are biblically based. I'm not saying all rules are evil. I'm not saying all laws are evil. Although in this day and age, unfortunately, there are a lot of laws that are evil. But I'm saying as a rule of thumb, there is no religion, no ritual, no rules, no laws that can replace or reproduce the glory of God. The glory of God is not in religion. It's not in rituals. It's not in rules. It's not in laws. And they can't replace or reproduce the glory of God. On the flip side, for you rebellious folks, not here but in other churches I've heard, no rebellion, no sin, no money, no crimes, no selfishness, and no greed can replace or reproduce the glory of God. If it could, there would be never any famous people who would take their own life. You have famous people that have fame and fortune and riches galore and live in mansions and have everything that they want, private butlers, and they eat whatever they want. And all those worldly riches do not satisfy the soul, and they take their own life. Because yet even a poor man, when the glory of God is unveiled to him or her, they can be satisfied in a way that will change them. 2 Corinthians 3.9 If the ministry that was brought, this, this is a powerful scripture. Very powerful scripture. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, what was the condemnation of the ministry? They had eons and eons of rules and regulations and, you know, rituals and festival days and all types of things and hoops that we had to jump through. The Bible saying that even that, that brought condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness. That what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if it was transitory, came with glory, how much more greater is the glory of that which lasts? In other words, we have a glory that is not uh, with laws and regulations and rituals and Praise God that we don't have to come to church with a living lamb sacrifice in order to get into the sanctuary. You got to burn a lamb on the outside and cut its throat. Peter would be all after us, shutting us down with rules and regulations and, you know. God is saying that there is a glory that's so much greater 
that lasts. The longer we stay in the glory of God, the more we transform into his image. That's why I'm not saying and I don't believe that you have to go to church to get saved. I did not get saved in church. I got saved in the worst place of my life. But after you get saved, will you stay isolated and secluded? The longer we stay in the glory of God, the more we transform into his image. There are some folks that you think that you know, but you don't really know them. You know them after their flesh. You know them after their past. You know them after your relations with them, but you don't really know them. You see, because there is a knowing that only comes from having a relationship with God. And when you lead them into a relationship with God, you'll realize the person that you thought you knew is not really who you thought you knew. That they are a new creature, a new creation, and a new creature through Christ Jesus. A lot of folks, they think they know me, but they don't know me. And even to the extent that I don't even know myself. You see, as we're being led by God, we do things that our flesh doesn't like. Not everything that I do is what I want to do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I didn't want to do, I don't do. There are things that God leads us into doing. And if you can continue and walk in the word of God, you will see that your image will change. My physical image changed when I first got saved when I first got saved, folks, I had a gold tooth in the front of my mouth. It was real gold. I thought that was special. My mom, bless her heart, she thought I went crazy. She pleaded and cried and begged. I grounded down my natural healthy tooth at the age of 15, I believe, or 16, something like that. And I grounded down a perfectly good tooth and capped it with gold because I saw one of the gangster rappers, OG, crip walking. And he waxed his gold tooth, and I thought that that was glorious. You see, and when I got saved, now I went through college. And now I was in a position where I had to work with society. And I had to talk to people about their vision and their medical things. And how many of you know, sometimes when you're going for medical advice, you start to question the man with the gold tooth. Now, I'm not saying that you don't know the electromagnetic spectrum and the five layers of the cornea and the occipital lobe. And I understand the nanometers and the wavelengths and all that. But your gold tooth is blinding me. And so there were some physical things that changed when the glory of God was unveiled to me, some natural things. You see, God will accept us in any condition, 
And most of us, when you really sincerely go to God, you come to him like a raggedy bowl of sauerkraut. And God said, I see your condition. I see you're struggling from fears and anxiety and sickness. And you're confused and you're afraid and you're lost. And God said, that's perfect. Wait till I unveil my glory to you. And wait till you come out as pure gold when I get done with you. If you don't like the way you look right now, God's not done with you. Stay in his glory and watch your image. It will change. Now, you might not never be as handsome as me. I can't promise you that. Lord, forgive me. I repent. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 3.12 says, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of that which was passing away, which was the Old Testament, which was the law. Amen? God knew that that was a crutch. How many of you know folks that are on crutches, that's not supposed to be a permanent solution. It is only to get you to recovery. How many of you know the law was never intended to be a permanent solution? How many of you know Jesus, before Abraham was, Jesus said, I was? How many of you know the law that was established was a crutch to get man from an unveiled glory that will usher us into eternity? It says, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of that which was passing away, but their minds were blinded. You see, this is our duty as Christians, is that the word of God has the power to... Give sight to the blind. But we can't be the blind leading the blind. Jesus said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have life, but the scriptures testify me. There are so many religions that they know the law, they know academics, they know theology, but they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, and they are still blind. And it is tough trying to tell a blind man that he's blind when he's never known that there's light to be had. It says, for unto this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. It doesn't say the veil is taken away in laws and rules and regulations and rituals and works. and No, it's in Christ. The glory of God is unveiled through Christ. 
and nothing else. Not in me, not in you, not in this building, not in anything. Not saying God doesn't use you, use me, use the building. He uses things. And that's to his glory that he could use someone like you and I. It says, but even to this day when Moses is read, the veil lies on their heart. 2 Corinthians 3.16, it says, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Uh, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Folks, when you get delivered of a battle, that is to the glory of God. But after you get saved, after you get delivered, after you get set free, it doesn't mean that you're not going to go through tribulations and trials. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And where our faith is tested, even as a Christian, and is when we go from glory to glory. Some of us are in glory right now, and some of us are in two waiting to go into glory not all life is glory there's a lot of the two lord couldn't we just go from glory glory why do we have to go from glory to you see god has done so many glorious things in my life but me and my wife just came out of a two-year two. And if I told you what my two was, you would never believe what my two was. If you would have known the battle and the level and the challenges and the attack that me and my wife just recently came out of for two years, you would be shocked because it is in that too that we are tempted to take our eyes off of the glory of God. And that's what the enemy wants to do is that when you're in transition from glory to, that he will hit you with everything he got to try to stop you from getting to glory. But I want to tell you today to hang on. Help is on its way. God is faithful, and that it is in that too that God is pruning you, he's humbling you, he's testing you, and he's strengthening you. And he's not doing those things for no reason. He's not a big kid with the ant farm. He is an almighty God, an all-knowing God, an all-loving God. 
Now I wish to God I could have avoided this last two years that me and my wife had gone through. But now the Lord knows the way that I should take. And I got to tell you, when you go through two and you get to the glory, you'll be able to encourage other folks that you were there too. And that it's not. And let me tell you this, folks. Everything that you're going through, it's temporal. It is just temporal. It's just temporal. It feels intense. There are some battles I wish to God I never went through. But then when the glory of God is unveiled and you look back at the two and you start to see a greater glory that had you have not went to, the glory that you're seeing would not be the same. just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Those transformed into the image of God spiritually crave the church to be fed and edified. When we sin, we will do one of two things. We will marinate in guilt and shame and run from God or we will run to God. It's only two directions in life. Everybody on this planet is either running from God and all of his glory or they're running to God and all of his glory. You see, I believe that when I got saved in 2002 of December, I got saved in such a low place that I didn't want to live and I didn't see any hope or purpose for my own life. And I don't blame God for that. But God is an opportunist. He's an opportunist. He will see someone that is in a broken state, in a place of hopelessness, and he will unveil his glory to that soul. And when he does, you will crave. The Bible words it as a new baby desiring the sincere milk of God. And I know when I first got saved, there was nothing anyone could do to keep me out of church. Nothing. No, I, I did not miss one Service. I'm not saying that to guilt trip or try to tell you to do me. I'm just telling you what happened with me. I knew that I knew that I was going to go back to a dark place if I didn't stay in the house of God. 
Amen. And, and, and sometimes when you have that hunger, it's evidence that the glory of God has been unveiled to you. When you don't have that hunger, it's evidence that you might not have seen the glory of God yet. You might have seen religion and rituals and rules and academics and uh, some Bible verses and some understandings, but there is a hunger that, folks, once you see the glory and taste and see that God is good, there's nothing else on earth that can replace it or satisfy a thirsty soul but the Lord. And you crave to be around your brothers and sisters in the Lord. It says those transformed into the image of God spiritually crave the church to be fed and edified. Hebrews 10.19. I'm almost done, folks. Almost done. We're coming to a conclusion here. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. How many of you know the temple of Solomon? How many of you know it was set up in such a way that, that even the high priest who was ordained and qualified to go into the temple. How many of you know even the highest priest could not enter into the presence of God without the blood? It was the blood that unlocked. It was the blood that unlocked the presence of God. And then that high priest would put that sacrifice on the altar and the blood was shed. And then the high priest would go into the holy place. And then in the holy place he had to burn incense in order to get into the holy of holies. Into the holiest place he had to go through a veil. And only the high priest was allowed to go into the presence of God. And he would go to the presence of God on behalf of all of Israel. And how many of you know now Jesus Christ is our high priest? Jesus Christ goes to the Father for us. That there is no way to enter into the Father but through him. By his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You can't go in through a back door. You can't work your way in there. You can't buy your way in there. There's nothing but the blood of Jesus will allow you to go into the glory of God, into the presence of God. And I got to tell you, if you judge yourself, you judge yourself amiss. If you're not looking through the eyes of God, there is a love from God that changes us. When I realized that God loved me in spite of my past, it brought me to tears. It broke me. God, how could you love a wretch like me? And that's through Jesus. We are engrafted. We are engrafted in through Jesus. We're adopted. 
It says, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And that's nothing but the blood of Jesus, folks. Hebrews 10, 23, it says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and unto good works. Not This is key, folks. See, a lot of folks, they think that their relationship with Jesus replaces their calling to come to the house of God. No, it doesn't. Because of what God did, he's telling us we need to come together so that we can strengthen one another. We can edify one another. We can encourage one another. We can help one another. The Bible says do good to them, but especially them that are in the household of faith. He said in Jeremiah, he said, I will give you shepherds after my own heart, which will feed you with knowledge and understanding. He makes it really clear that God has a physical location for the children of God to come together. And that was after unveiling his glory. not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. That is a clue that as we wait for the coming of our Messiah, as we wait as a church to be caught up with the Lord, he is saying that as the time draws near, as the day gets more wicked, as the approach of the Antichrist is coming, it is that much crucial that we need to come together as the bride of Christ with our oil ready and burning for the Lord. Because i got to tell you, the most important boat that you don't want to miss is the rapture. And if you don't like that word, it's caught up. Either way, don't miss it. Be ready and prepared. Because he's coming, folks. And some folks, we don't know when our last breath is going to be on this earth. We don't know when we're going to check out. But I got to tell you, Apostle Paul said it in this manner. He said to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I got to tell you, there is an unveiled glory. Even after the glory of having Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, even after that, there is still more. The Bible says, I have not seen, ear have not heard the things that await for them that love the Lord. God has a heaven, a glorious heaven, streets of gold, mansions, a name written in the Lamb's book of life that is waiting for us. And I got to tell you, when you understand that, when you believe that, that too that you're transitioning from glory to, it's all right. As long as you know that you're God's child, that too 
It's not that bad. It's not that bad, folks. Matthew 27, 50, it says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent, twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Jesus Christ unveiled the glory of God when he died on the cross. The blood was shed on a cross like this, old and rugged and ugly. Painful suffering did he go through so that the veil of God would be ripped. So that the presence of God was now accessible through your faith. And Jesus Christ, we pray that you will intervene in their life right now. We pray that you raise up a standard against the enemy, that you will rebuke the devourer for the name of Jesus Christ's sake. We pray. Strong's view, Christian church, the spirit of the Lord is upon me.